when I I really hurt someone that Mm. I care deeply about through, Mm. you know, partying and self-sabotage behaviors. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of my rock bottom. I really, you know, I just, I hated myself for that. And I recognized, I may not have been able to put it in quite these terms, but there was some part of me that knew if I didn't get help, I was going to keep hurting people and leave like a trail of wreckage behind me. And I didn't want to do that. Right. And so I started getting help. I mean, I had been in therapy since I was 12. And so I was kind of, you know, getting support, but it wasn't quite the support that I needed. So I started doing group therapy programs and that was helpful to, to a point, but you know, my bulimia was, was still very severe. Hey, thanks for tuning into this episode. You know, with so much going on in the world, it just seems like the pandemic and these new restrictions are causing a lot of people to have more mental health issues. Um, And, you know, there's nowhere really to go. Um, You have to wear masks everywhere. You know, 2020 has been very much a a hard year for a lot of us, and uh, especially the trauma victims, the the highly sensitive and the empaths. I decided to bring in an expert trauma coach, uh, Iris McAlpin, who has been through a lot herself, and she's going to actually share her personal story with depression, bulimia, and, uh, you know, just CPTSD and how she kind of got over that. But more importantly, we're going to tackle self-sabotage behavior, especially during these times, and how to kind of cope. So definitely if you're an empath, highly sensitive people, you want to tune into this episode. With that said, let's get started. You're listening to the On Call Empath Show. Welcome guys to another episode of the On Call Empath. I am super excited for my next guest and uh, her name is Iris McAlpin. She is a certified trauma coach who specializes in self-sabotage, eating disorder recovery, and complex trauma, which is what we're all about here at this podcast for all those empaths and highly sensitive people. Definitely want to tune into this episode. Uh, Iris, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you doing? Good, good. I'm a big fan of your uh, Instagram. You have a lot of great information on there that uh, really speaks out to so many people that are dealing with trauma and mental health these days, especially with that pandemic, everyone's stuck at home. Um, It's just tough. It really is. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's difficult for everyone in, in different ways and for different reasons, but I think we truly are all in this together. There's really nobody who hasn't been touched by this in a pretty significant way. Yeah. And uh, it looks like um, you, you work with your clients all over the world from Europe, uh, Middle East, South America, or did you actually go there or are you just kind of helping everyone around the world? I wish I could be traveling around, but that's not, <laughs> be awesome. that's not a thing right now. So yeah, through, through Zoom, I am traveling around the world and, and helping clients in many different countries. That's awesome. That's awesome. So just to kind of get started, I know that you've had your personal battles. Um, if you can kind of explain like, you know, what kind of personal experience uh, you have with self-sabotage and how you kind of got all into that. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I joke that I was a semi-pro self-saboteur and it's, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's something that was basically a defining characteristic of my life for most of my life. And I didn't understand it for the longest time. It was extremely, extremely frustrating and confusing. And it wasn't until I started studying trauma that I started putting some pieces together. And, but I guess before I go there, you know, I would say, you know, I would tank relationships, job opportunities. I was, you know, engaging in some pretty risky partying behavior. And really anytime something good would happen for me, it would make me extremely anxious. And it was like I had to get rid of it as quickly as possible. And that wasn't necessarily conscious because consciously I thought, you know, oh great, like things are finally going well. This is this is wonderful. But then at the very first opportunity to destroy that, basically, I would. And so this was a huge source of, of distress for me. Yes. And it looks like um, you had struggle with bulimia, um, yeah. depression, and CPTSD. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. And I don't necessarily automatically label bulimia as self-sabotage just because it's a more complex topic than that. But in many ways, it it absolutely is. I mean, if if we're defining self-sabotage as something that is against your long-term best interest and is self-defeating, then bulimia definitely falls into that category. Right. Yeah. So... So, like, how did you end up just being a trauma coach? I know that you've obviously been through quite a lot, and just looking at a lot of your videos, they're so inspiring. Um, I mean, there's so much good information on the uh, Instagram and the stories that you do. What point did you get on that healing path, and what did that look like? What what did that entail for you to get to where you are today? Because it seems like you really... The way you, you know, do your stories and everything, I would, you know, it's like, it's hard to believe that, you know, you had all this and now you're just kind of helping and giving back. Yeah, it's, it's still hard to believe myself some days. (laughs) I kind of have to pinch myself because, yeah, it looked pretty bleak for a while there. Mm -hmm. And I would say, you know, my healing path really began at the age of 19 when I I really hurt someone that mm. I care deeply about through, mm. you know, partying and self-sabotage behaviors. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of my rock bottom. I really, you know, I just, I hated myself for that. And I recognized, I may not have been able to put it in quite these terms, but there was some part of me that knew if I didn't get help, I was going to keep hurting people and leave like a trail of wreckage behind me. And I didn't want to do that. Right. And so I started getting help. I mean, I had been in therapy since I was 12. And so I was kind of, you know, getting support, but it wasn't quite the support that I needed. So I started doing group therapy programs. And that was helpful to, to a point. But, you know, my bulimia was was still very severe at that point. And so I think I tried to kind of throw the spaghetti at the wall method and just mm. see what sticks. And so I tried t- 
tons of group programs, group coaching programs, group therapy programs. I worked with therapists and coaches and energy healers and acupuncturists and, you know, you name it, (laughs) pretty much I tried it. And meanwhile, I was doing a lot of my own reading because it just didn't really make sense to me that I was having such a difficult time. I I knew that there were people out there in the world who had experienced worse traumas and were sort of managing to function. So it just, there were some pieces that didn't quite fit for me. And so I was just on this quest to, to figure out, you know, what is this? And through yeah. that process, eventually I found Peter Levine's work, um, the founder of Somatic Experiencing. And that kind of opened this doorway into trauma for me. I see. And yeah, so that's kind of how, how I got here. And then I went and got a lot of training. <laughs> gotcha. Oh. And as far as like, you know, getting into the work that you do, um, like what is your method like helping your clients? Um, how do you approach that? I mean, now that, you know, obviously you're you're getting to that, you know, you got to that point where you, you kind of found yourself. How are you? How are you, what is your method of kind of helping out your clients? Yeah, so now I practice something called the Neuroeffective Relational Model, or NARM. Mm-hmm. And that was a, a modality created by Dr. Lawrence Heller for working specifically with complex relational trauma. And it just, you know, from all of the reading that I had done, when I picked up the book is called healing developmental trauma. It's sort of like the cornerstone book of NARM. And I, my mom gave it to me, not really knowing a lot about it. She just knew I was interested in trauma and (laughs) gave it to me. And within a few pages, I knew that this book was going to be a game changer for me. It just, it synthesized these ideas from these, from neuroscience and from psychology and from, you know, more somatic modalities and it just, it made all the sense in the world. And so that is what I do now. Awesome. So just kind of switching gears here. I know like a lot of people that are listening on this podcast, um, they do have um, issues with self-sabotage. Um, can you just start off by just kind of listing some of the misconceptions so we can get that like kind of, you know, out of the way? Like what are some of the biggest misconceptions about self-sabotage in your opinion? There are several. I think one of them is that when people hear self-sabotage, they typically think of the really, really obvious ones. Things like overspending, procrastination, substance use, or maybe substance abuse, and you know, choosing instant gratification over long-term happiness and those kinds of things. And it's true, those are self-sabotage, but at least in my mind, self-sabotage also includes things like negative self-talk, putting pressure on yourself, not asking for help, isolating, people-pleasing, perfectionism. So there are, it covers a much broader range of behaviors than many people realize. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is that people typically feel like self-sabotage doesn't make any sense. Like they, and on its face, it doesn't. It's like, okay, if I want to be successful, why would I, you know, 
stay up until 3 a.m. drinking every night and like show up to work <laughs> late every day. Why would I do that? Right. The thing is, though, there is a hidden logic to self-sabotage. We just don't often know where to look for it. And the way I coach people through this is helping people understand what is what is the need that this behavior is trying to get met. It may be a need from present time. It may be a need from your childhood that was never met. But these behaviors are in some way getting a need met and we just need to know where to look for that. And so that is a big part of the process of of healing is understanding how to get those needs met in ways that don't mess our our life up, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Would it be safe to say, like, I know like a lot of the listeners out there, especially the trauma victims and the highly sensitive, I mean, if they're coming from, let's say like a abusive household or they live with a, you know, a relative or just like a a spouse or whoever, you know, they're going through like abuse. Does, is that sometimes do you feel like, okay, then that kind of leads into like all these uh, destructive behaviors to kind of mask the pain and the root cause? Because I know a lot of the people that are listening, they have been through a lot of that type of abuse from somebody by a narcissist or, or somebody that really hurt them. And now they're acting out through like overeating, drinking, right. you know, over, you know, having sex, like just random people, like just all these behaviors. Um, is that like a mechanism just to kind of cope with life and not deal with the root cause of the abuse, you think? It absolutely can be. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's going to be a little bit different in everyone's case, but there are many times, like if you're not able, let's say you, you grew up in a household with an abusive mother and any time you would try to speak up for yourself or, mm-hmm. you know, express yourself in some way, you were like really terribly punished you would learn that that's not safe to do. And so you might start really questioning your, your impulses and start, you know, hiding aspects of your personality to kind of protect them in a way. And then over time, these things start to come out sideways. It's like we start expressing ourselves in ways that, that aren't healthy and rebelling at our own expense. If we had these, you know, extremely authoritarian parents. And so I do find that self-sabotage typically has its roots in in early childhood. Right. Not always, but usually. Right. So I guess like, I mean, I'm sure you, you've, you know, helped a lot of clients. I mean, what, what would you say like the biggest pitfall you see in people as far as like, you know, working on their healing that that you come across? The biggest one by far is trying to think your way through healing, like Mm -hmm. trying to intellectualize your way around it. And this is a pitfall that I fell into myself very, very strongly. I was, you know, hyper analytical and, you know, trying to figure it all out, trying to understand the why for everything. And that's natural to want to do. And that can be helpful to, to a point, but there will come a point where if, if you don't actually feel the feelings that are underneath all of these behaviors, 
usually anger and grief, maybe one more than the other, but typically both that are wanting to, to, to be witnessed, wanting to be felt. And if we are only in our heads, it's, it's difficult to do that emotional processing that needs to happen. Yeah. I mean, personally, like, I mean, I remember being at a point where I was trying everything, like you said, acupuncture, going to therapist, EDMR therapy, you name it. Like when you're at that point and you're desperate and you're just trying every way to, you think like, okay, this is going to, this is going to help. This is going to cure me. But at the end of the day, you know, you can try as many things as possible unless you come to that conclusion and you're, you're like, you know, just go to the root cause, like what's mm-hmm. causing it. I mean, not to say that therapists and all these people that I've gone to weren't helpful. They were. But I think what I'm looking for is somebody that's actually been through it, just kind of like how you have. And because um, I think someone has to go through that hell to understand. Um, and I feel like a lot of the people that I go to, they can listen, they can sympathize, but it's really tough when you haven't gone through it yourself and been in that darkness. And, and that's, that's something that's really hard to find in someone. Mm-hmm. And cause we're looking for someone to solve the problem, but it really comes down to like looking at ourselves. And I know like a lot of the empaths that I do talk to on the show that do reach out, you know, they always look at the exterior trying to go to somebody that one person to, to take the pain away or, you know, to help them or cure them. But, I don't think it works that way. I mean, (laughs) um, I wish that'd be nice. (laughs) So as far as mental health, I know in this country, it's like a big taboo. I mean, I just feel like I've had a lot of guests on this podcast and um, it just feels like it's on the back burner. I don't think it's taken seriously. So in your opinion, what do you think is the next big thing around for medical health and trauma recovery? Because I feel what we're doing now is is not enough. Well, I certainly agree with you that it's not enough. And I, I do feel like the, the tides are changing and people are starting to talk about it more openly. I mean, even yesterday I went on Facebook and this, this guy that I know from back home posted a post saying that, you know, my anxiety and functional depression has gotten to a point where I think I need to see somebody for it. Like, who do I go see for something like this? And people were really encouraging and gave him good feedback and told him some people that he could reach out to. And and so I'm starting to see stuff like that in places where I wouldn't normally have seen it. And so that gives me a lot of hope because, and I think this pandemic too is alerting people to how important mental health is Mm. because if if you're stuck at home alone with your thoughts and you haven't done (laughs) any you know personal growth work or any healing work like that's going to be a really dark time and it is unfortunately for many people and i know alcohol sales have gone through the roof and well yeah i mean that that's i mean that's another podcast knowing that you got just people that doesn't you know that never had like major mental health issues are now suicidal because they're trapped at home they can't even go to a restaurant i know this this new three-week period of um staying indoors now like there's crackdowns in all over the states um in some states are even like you can't even go inside a restaurant but what about for some people that are just 
you know, they can't stand being alone and they need to go out. I mean, what are some options do you have for them? I mean, like, because it seems like when you corner somebody to a point where they can't leave the house and then when they do, they have to wear masks. I mean, that has to be psychologically, like, messing with someone's psyche. (laughs) Well, it is. And I think what's challenging about this period is that it's forcing everyone to confront their own helplessness. It's like we like to think that we're in control of our lives and how our lives go. Mm -hmm. And the reality is we never were (laughs) and we never will be, but we're able to kind of cling to that fantasy pretty easily most of the time Mm -hmm. until something like this happens that, that invites us to really get in touch with the limits of our control. And so I think learning to sit with that helplessness is not easy. It's not fun, but I think it's actually a really important part of healing. And I think if if people are willing to do that, they will, there will be ripple effects of that in their entire life. But this 2020 is, you know, it, it becomes smoother because it seems like it's, I don't know if it's just getting started or if we're the tail end of it, but I just speaking to a lot of the guests or, and the people that listen to this podcast, um, you know, sometimes they say, you know, thanks for doing the podcast or like even what you do. I mean, I commend you for like going up, you know, on your Instagram and helping so many people. Um, I just wanted to kind of close out and just ask you for somebody that's listening right now, what can you say to just kind of give some hope, like, you know, for anyone that's like been through abuse and trauma and now this pandemic and they're just kind of trapped at home, where's something that you can um, kind of give some hope and uh, let them know that, Hey, they're not alone. I just encourage, you know, going online and because that is sort of what we're limited to Mm -hmm. at this point. And finding people whose stories you connect with. I mean, that is, social media has its its flaws, but one thing that is really beautiful about it is that there are, there are a tremendous amount of therapists and coaches and even just, you know, regular people sharing their stories on Instagram and offering a lot of guidance and support. There are lots of free support groups online and then of course you know there are ones that you can pay to participate in as well but there are a ton of resources out there and I think the thing that saved me was just not quitting like continuing to search continuing to look for more information and eventually I found the things that were really tremendously helpful for me and I I wouldn't have found those if I hadn't I'm just curious like (laughs) If you can go back to yourself when you know before you became who you are today and helping so many people, what is, what is one thing that you would tell your old self like you know before you started this healing journey? Is there something that you can go back and be like, oh, man, look out for this, like, or make sure you don't do this mistake? Or is there anything that comes to mind? Hmm. If I could go back and talk to my younger self I think I would just let her know that Mm. it was never her fault I really blamed myself and so I think that would be the thing 
you've been very helpful. Um, and if you can just kind of tell us where we can find you on social media and any website, I would appreciate that. Absolutely. Yeah. So my Instagram handle is just my name. It's at Iris McAlpin. Mm-hmm. And I have links to my own podcast. I have a free class called From Self-Sabotage to Self-Love that's available online that you can take. And my website is also irismcalpin.com. So, but I think Instagram is the easiest place to define me and get links to all of my free resources. Yes, guys, check her out. It's very informative. I, I was just looking through your Instagram this morning and I came across one where you were dancing and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? There is some scientific fact to that. If you move yeah. your body, how can you be, how can you honestly be like, you know, depressed, you know, if you're moving around and you're smiling, I mean, something happens to the body when you do that. (laughs) Yeah. My husband and I have been having lots of little dance parties in our living room during the pandemic. And it's not the same as, you know, going to a party, but right. You know, it'll do for now. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for being on this show. I appreciate you being here today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been great. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, Stay tuned for the next episode. And obviously, if you can let me know how I'm doing online on the Apple iTunes, it helps me out a lot. Um, And that is does it for this episode. Stay tuned for the next one. And we are out. You're listening to the On Call Impact.